Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show, guys, girls. Today is episode number 54. It is the last week of August of 2020. In 2020, man, it just keeps getting nuttier. Uh, I heard this uh, this week that there is a chance, actually a greater chance, actually than catching the Rona, that a meteor is going to hit the earth the day before the election day. Bam! I mean, wouldn't that be just a perfect way for 2020 to end with a bang and the meteor taking out the planet? I mean, sheesh, about the only thing that hasn't happened this year is the release of Sharknado 9, which I can only assume will just be a live cast of the coast somewhere hours before it all ends. Uh, it's just been wild, stacked on wild, and uh, doesn't look like it's slowing down any time soon. I do want to say thank you to all of those of you who have picked up your Fast Bracket Nation t-shirts to support the show. I will say that as of right now, I only have them in red, but A, you can stand to have another t-shirt in your drawer no matter what the color is, and B, I have heard you, I will get some t-shirts in different colors, but that latest response to the red-only color choice was, well, it was unprofessional, and you know good and well that my head will never fit up there, so let's just keep it on the up and up folks um on a serious note though our thoughts go out to our friends all across the country they're dealing with national disasters uh natural disasters uh this this week and have we deal dealt with it here in the couple, last couple weeks uh first of all we've had the tornadoes in iowa um hurricanes in the gulf fires in california nevada and um kenosha wisconsin um, it has just been simply one for the ages, and because of that, I am happy to say we have another tremendous episode for you today. I hope it brings you some joy as we're dealing with it all this week, but we've got a great guest coming to you today. We've got Aaron Stanfield. He runs Top Dragster. He runs Pro Stock and runs Factory Stock. I cannot wait to have him on. I can't wait to get to it, so let's go do it. Do whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute to work. Clean the shop. Work on the old heap. But metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box And I told you last week, I said that if you want to be absolutely crazy and you want to try something that you think could potentially work, that this is the year for you. And sadly, the NHRA listened to your host and went absolutely off the rails this week in mandating the elimination of any political ads and or verbiage on the race cars as such. Clearly, the folks out in Glendale did not like the Trump 2020 banners that are showing up on cars at racetracks all across the country, and we're going to put a stop to it via rule section 11.1. And let's get real for a minute. It is not like they were a bunch of rigs pulling in with Biden 2020 across the 53-foot rolling banner 
No, sir. This was a direct jab at a few prominent racers who have been unapologetically in their support of our current president. So let me say a couple things about section 11.1 of what I can only imagine is some attempt to get woke and not ruffle the feathers of people who are burning stuff down all across this country in the name of inarticulately righting wrongs from decades past. First, this isn't going to go the way you think it is, Big N. I am in no way about to pick a fight with the most historic organization in drag racing history, but I do want to issue a heartfelt warning. This is not going to help our cause. This is not going to make us more likable to the masses. People are tired of the lack of spine and are turning everything they see as such off their TV screens. Organizations who pick their winners politically eliminate half their followers. The show is a good example. I have spoken more politics this year than I ever could have dreamed of, and I am sure that has cost me a follower or two. As a libertarian trained in economics, it's part of the deal. I live with that. Uh, or at least I'm learning to live with it. But I try to be agnostic as much as possible when I weigh the pros and cons of an issue. And I, you know, look at uh, both sides and the unintended consequences of said policies. And this isn't going to work for the same reason it didn't work for NASCAR and the same reasons it didn't work for Goodyear and the same reasons it didn't work for the NBA. Because people are tired of hearing that the way they know is right in their hearts to operate through hard work and dedication is some bad thing, and that the rules that are getting handed down from up above are somehow better than the rules we learned in kindergarten. A phrase that I learned not too long ago, and one I've truly come to peace with here lately, is this, there are no adults. We are all making it up as we go. So don't tell me that you know better when I know you're guessing just like everyone else would be in that position, especially a position that has never been within a zip code of where I eat and sleep. I think I understand why they're implementing this, but bending a knee to the woke crusaders hasn't helped one single entity that has tried it. Secondly, I do not like anytime free speech is dissuaded. I like to hear both sides of the argument for and against whatever it it is that anyone happens to believe in. I really think this thought that one side's opinion is not worth hearing is a bad precedent. And it doesn't bring us any closer to getting us all in harmony and united as a nation. Even when that opinion on the surface is decidedly terrible, let the argument stand on its own merit. Let's not bop it into oblivion just before the discussion can even be had. I know where nature is going with this, and I know where our heart is in the right place. But that being said, let's not pretend this has anything to do with fairness or hearing both sides. Drag racers are decidedly Trump supporters, and rightfully so. I mean, the Democrats have all but said they will dismantle our sport if given the chance with their Green New Deal and their outright denial of anyone not living in their glass house being a detriment to what they see is right. This isn't me opining about what they want to do. They are telling you, they are telling me that this is what they want to do if they get in charge. So of course we as drag racers would not appreciate that. We have way too many business owners in our family that have seen what government overreach can do both good and bad to be conned into thinking anyone collecting that U S treasury check each week has our best interest at heart. 
I don't see how turning away support for the party that would allow you to keep operating is beneficial, but I'm open to discussion if anyone has a thought-out argument to it. Lastly, have we learned nothing from the dawn of time about how to unify and grow an organization? I mean, anyone with a teenage daughter will tell you that the easiest way to get them to do something is to tell them they can't do that said something or someone as it may be. I can only imagine the amount of vinyl that is being cut right now for racers across the country. I'm guessing that there will be so many stickers on the cars that the tech guys won't be able to count them. And an equal amount will be subliminally hidden so they're not to be detected at first glance. I mean, this is a divisive issue, uh, more so than any of us would hope it would ever be. But how can it not? Uh, honestly, how can it not be a divisive issue when support of our current president is deemed to be violent by people burning down businesses? Up is down, black is white, roadsters is cool. I mean, good night. This is, uh, nothing seems to make sense right now. But uh, the racetrack is supposed to be a place where all the jawjacking gets put aside once the stage beams are lit. The paint doesn't matter at that point, and bringing attention to the paint is a universally bad idea. All right, let's put this thing in the beams presented by thisisbracketracing.com. And on with us now is a dude who is competing in top dragster. He's competing in pro stock and factory stock. He's a dude who already has two divisional titles in top dragster and has finished in the top four in top dragster nationally three different times from Bozier City, Louisiana. Welcome to the show, Aaron Stanfield. Aaron, how are you today, my man? Good. Thanks, Rex, for having me on. No, glad to have you, brother. Um, hey, let's let's talk a little bit of drag racing here today. And your dad, obviously, Greg, is one of the best to ever do it. Um, talk a little bit about maybe one of your earliest drag racing memories. Um, def- definitely the earliest drag racing memories I have is, is – um, you know, going testing with my dad in the pro stock car and just kind of standing on the start line and just not, re- not really, not, not really, uh, you know, not really realizing what exactly I was getting to do at that time. But, uh, later in life, I figured out that that was a, you know, pretty cool, a pretty cool, uh, memory I get to look back on. And then there's no doubt. How old were you at that time? Let's see. My dad was racing pro stock in the you know, early 2000s. So, probably around seven or eight is probably the earliest earliest memories i have of it yeah that's uh that's pretty impressive right um Uh so i mean obviously you were probably gearing up to do that pretty early then if you if you had that experience um do you remember the first car you ever made a pass in uh the first first car i ever made a pass in was actually a um like a cargo van, <laughs> my, <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> you know, my dad, dad stuck me in the cargo van and, and just, just more than anything taught me the procedures of everything. Um, I didn't, I didn't get to race any junior dragsters. I was pretty involved in sports and my dad, you know, wanted me to do that, that normal, the normal kid kind of stuff and, and play, play sports and, and enjoy those type of things before I got into racing. I guess, I guess he knew I was, 
I, I, that was going to ruin everything else for me as soon as I hopped in a race car. <laughs> <laughs> right. He knew, right? Uh, he knew the uh, the injection was coming at some point. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's impressive, the uh, the cargo van. I like it. That. Uh, yep. How how long did you do that? Did you uh, say enough well, of this? Was, enough of this, Dad? Give me a, something fast. It was just a couple of passes. Um, I don't think I had turned sixteen yet. And then shortly after that, we we got a '98 Camaro where I just put brake, um, no electronic race around local racetracks for for probably a year or two um, before getting a uh, undercover dragster and starting starting to uh, really get into get into racing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then at some point, you know, you, you kind of, you, you got into top dragster and you've been doing that here several years, but tell us a little bit about what drew you to top dragster as opposed to some of the other classes out there. I mean, your dad obviously has, uh, you know, has a lot of experience and success and, you know, stock, super stock, et cetera. You could have chose probably any class out there. What, uh, what was it about top dragster that you liked? Well, um, I, like I said, I, I pretty much learned racing just in a in a uh, dragster super pro race, and, and um, you know we just I, I uh, wasn't wasn't I wouldn't say I don't like super comp or super gas or anything like that. Um, I just I just enjoyed enjoyed going fast and going wide open down the racetrack. So we, you know, I'm a little bit of a speed freak, so <laughs> top dragster was the the best fit and we also i also race super stock as well as top dragster um here for a while so uh just you know just uh it's it's cool it's the fastest bracket racing you can possibly do i mean it's 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 actually crazy if you think about it for sure <laughs> right i mean when you try to tell the average uh joe off the street that you're you know driving the stripe at 220 miles an hour that it 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 gets kind of a uh, a bizarre reaction, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely, it's it's not the uh, people don't quite understand that you're uh, looking you're looking over going that fast and 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 trying to trying to beat somebody by the smallest margin you can. So it's it's definitely a it's a challenge for sure, and I enjoy it. Well, and you've you've had a, a really nice run and knocked at the door of you know winning the national championship a couple times here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your car, your Tap Dragster car. Uh, walk us through that, if you would. I have a 2017 Miller Miller Dragster, and we've got a Stanfield Racing Engine 769 cubic inch uh, engine with three stages of nitrous on it, and it's a uh, it's it's pretty nasty nitrous motor. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, and are you using most kits, uh, most days or how did, how does that work? What, uh, I, I, we pretty much use, uh, all three kits and just kind of gradually bring them in going down the racetrack, um, to try to, to try to get that, get more than anything, just get some mile an hour at the finish line. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And has that been your, uh, setup here, you know, since you got into it, has then been kind of the program for you or have you graduated from, Let's call it a six thirty-two. Up to that, I originally had a, uh, I had my undercover dragster that I learned, um, basically learned how to race with, um, and we put a six thirty-two with two stages of nitrous on it, and it ran, you know, in the two fifteen range and in six thirties and in that range, and that's uh, a couple of years ago we decided we wanted to wanted to take it a little bit further. 
And um, is that what's the wheelbase on that car, Aaron? What um, uh, how long? Two hundred and fifty-two inches. Okay. Yeah, so that's a, a purpose-built uh, top dragster then with the seven sixty-nine, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, gotcha. Well, now let me ask you this because you you have the um, you know I would say luxury, but the the opportunity to drive i mean that not only the top dragster car but a pro stock car you've you've had uh numerous events in there and then the factory stock car so walk us through the differences of driving those three cars because i think i mean like i'm just going to tell you that if i got to pick three cars that i would want to drive those would be the three i'd want to do so walk (laughs) walk a guy like me through the differences of driving those three cars um they're they're if if you were to take three different cars those are those are very different in you know several ways um the dragster is is like i said it just it's the finish line's definitely definitely tough that's the toughest toughest game about that class and um you know it, it, and they and they're very fast and then you have this 3600 pound animal that that goes in the seven second zone um and it it can it can do anything from spin sideways ha- half track or the finish line or or do a 300 foot wheelie. Um, you just, sometimes you don't know what, you know, you don't know what you're going right. to get. Um, they're just very, those cars are very finicky and, and, um, you know, they're, they're not the easiest, easiest thing to, uh, tune or drive. Um, and then you have your, your pro stock car, which is the, the level of perfection it takes to be the best is, is, is at a very high. It's, um, you know, another, another car where your margin of error is very, very small your shifting window is very small and you have to you have to try to do everything perfect every single time yeah it's um like you said there's there's three real distinct things right the the top dragster is probably um you know cadillac light going down the track but you got to deal with the top end the the factory stock car is uh you know you better grip that wheel tight because you don't know what's gonna (laughs) and then and the pro stock car is just uh complete precision or it's a wasted run absolutely yep uh, that's that's the best way to explain it is is complete precision and um do you feel like do you feel like the speed of the top top dragster helps you when you go to get in that pro stock car or the factory stock car absolutely i um you know it it i've raced top dragster for a couple years now and and um you know it got it got it to where Anytime I ever hopped in another car, it was always um, slowed down for me. That makes sense. Where yeah. where it wasn't, um, you know, everything wasn't happening too fast for me to process. So, um, you know, I really think it set me up. It set me up good to be in some some different and fast, you know, fast cars. Yeah, I, I would think so, right? Because um, the speed doesn't bother you um, at that point, and it, it does maybe give you a chance to. Um, go through all your check marks when you're driving the pro stock car and, and, um, you know, so on. Absolutely. Yep. It, it's, a, you know, the, the pro stock car is, there's a, there's a lot going on and, um, you know, that's another car that's helped, you know, I got to race it whenever I was, or I got to first get my license when I was 19. Um, so I, it gave me a, opportunity to realize how hard a car can be uh to drive and then and be able to you know hop back in a dragster or a super stock car or a factory stock showdown car and it, it just you know those type of things help me because i can 
slow every you know slow everything down. Yeah, you're with uh, the elite team now. Is that right? Yes, I'm with uh, in the pro stock car. I'm with the uh, elite the elite motorsports team and uh, the Janik brothers. They they sponsor me to drive the factory stock showdown car and the pro stock car. And uh, there's some great people, and I've been very fortunate and blessed to get to race with them. Yeah, I mean, I I think about the people that are, um, you know, you're hanging out with in terms of that car, and man, like you're getting um, an education from, uh, you know, from Hall of Famers every time you turn around. So, I mean, that's got to be, uh, you know, every time they tell you, hey, um, you know, sit this way, hold your hand that way. I'm I'm guessing you you just got to put it in the logbook, right, and go. That's the way it's done. Sure thing. Um, you know, I've always, you know, something I've always stuck in my head is. Um, if you look at successful people, they're they're always surrounded by successful people. So um, you know that's that's kind of a kind of a thing we try to I try to do is is to surround myself with good people that can um, you know we can we can grow together and achieve achieve things we want to achieve. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Well, talk to us a little about what about what you do want to achieve. Like t- talk to us about your goals for. Um, you know, the top dragster, the pro stock car, the factory stock car, um, you know, just, uh, fill us in a little bit about what you're thinking in that terms. Um, well, uh, for the top dragster, I would definitely like to eventually close out a championship and, and possibly this year can, can be that year if I can, um, you know, keep my head on straight, <laughs> but, um, I would, I'd also like really like to get a win in pro stock and get a win in factory stock showdown. And then of course the goal is always to win a championship, but I would definitely start with a win in both of those classes. And then who knows, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind going 300 miles an hour one day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, uh, yeah, that would, that would certainly slow down uh, the top dragster then if you were going 300, (laughs) right? Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, we we talked a little bit about this off there. Um, you know, like you have gotten really, really close um, to to winning that national championship on the top dragster side a couple times, and just had a had a few things that didn't quite go your way. Did you did you learn anything along the way? Like um, you feel like, oh man, I, this this time I'm not going to let that sneak up and get me. Absolutely. Um. You know. I'm not ashamed to say it. You know, I've been, I've had the opportunity to close the door every time we've been close. And, um, you know, I've just, I've made some personal mistakes in the car and, and that is something I do is, is make a note after, after every mistake I make and, and try to, you know, keep that in my mind and not make that mistake again. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, all it takes, Aaron, to win a national championship or a world championship is just be perfect and then get lucky on top of it. That's all it takes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, you've I know you've got some really uh, high goals for yourself and all those cars. And I mean, they're just all so different. It's impressive to me that that you can change gears as well as you do, um, you know, mentally in those cars and make those changes. But, uh, I know you've got some help that, uh, you surround yourself with who, who's all in your corner in terms of, uh, personnel and sponsorships. Um, you know, my dad's been very, you know, very, very helpful for me and, and very important to my, to any success I've had in racing, um, as well as JD and Teresa Kaufman with JC three energy, uh, they're the reason I get to go out and 
race top dragster and, and get to compete in some of the other classes I race in as well. And they've been, you know, been very good to me and I'm blessed to blessed to have them on a, as a part of my, as a part of my racing. And then, uh, like I said before, the Janik brothers, they've, they've been, uh, important in my, in the professional side of, uh, the racing and as well as factory stock showdown. <clears throat> no, that, that makes perfect sense. And then, you know, I, I guess, um, your shop probably sponsors you as well. You want to talk about a little bit what you do nine to five, so to speak? Yes. Um, you know, during, during the day, sometimes it can be a little more than nine to five, <laughs> um, <Of course. laughs> but, uh, you know, we've, we've got to get a little work, extra work in because we're always racing. So sometimes it can be some long days, but anyways, um, during the day we, I, uh, help or I run Stanfield racing engines where we build, um, just about any, any drag racing engine. And, uh, you know, we've been a couple of, or right around the time I was starting college, my dad was kind of getting out of racing. And, uh, I had told him that I had, a had some interest in, in building engines for people. And, uh, you know, this is after he had sold all of his equipment. So, you know, over the past couple of years, we've been totally acquiring our equip or some of the equipment back and, uh, you know, growing our business. And, uh, it's been, it's been very fun. Yeah. So what, what type of engines do you focus on? Like, what do you build mostly? We do a lot of, uh, a lot of stock and super stock, some top dragster, some super comp stuff, um, a good bit of comp eliminator stuff. And then our, you know, our main, our main deal is, is, uh, some of these new Copo engines, um, and the factory stock showdown engines. We do, we do a good bit of those. Yeah. So that those keep you busy. And uh, I'm guessing you're hauling a handful of those to the tracks when you're going every week. Yep. We've got a, we've got four, what I call Stanfield prepared factory stock showdown cars that we, uh, you know, we, we, uh, house them in our shop and, and, you know, take, take care of them, service them, build engines and, uh, you know, the whole entire racing program. Gotcha. Okay. That, that's got to keep you busy then um, on top of your, your racing personally. So, um, yeah, a lot of five-hour energy and Mountain Dew, I'm assuming, for you. That, that's right. Or, or uh, I drink I drink the Nosses, so. <laughs> there, you <laughs> there you go. There you go. I like it. Uh, I And I do appreciate you filling us in a little bit on, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes that way. But, uh, hey, uh, one thing before I let you go um, – I'm curious. You you've been around it. Your dad's been around it for a long time. Your grandfather's been around this book, so you've got a really unique perspective, at least in my opinion. Um, what what is one thing that you would like to see our sport improve upon? Um, definitely figuring out ways to get get more youth into the sport. Um, that's the only way it's going to continue to grow. And uh, we just got to figure out figure out that way to to continue getting youth. Uh, you know back into the back into the sport um you know there's there's a good bit of youth in bracket racing but um i'm talking about just drag racing as a whole so um i think that's the biggest thing i've got it aaron i've got it um there are cargo vans everywhere for cheap (laughs) let's let's go get all the cargo vans we can and that's all it takes i mean it worked for you right Uh, yes sir that's right (laughs) I like it. I'm I'm with you, man. Like, um, I did not personally have a chance to drive a junior dragster, but I know a lot of folks who did and they, you know, they thought that was great. Um, but, uh, yeah, it it is, 
it is a tougher thing to get um, kids interested in it and uh, we need to address it somehow. I don't know if cargo vans is exactly the right way, but uh, there, it doesn't need to be addressed. I agree with you. Yes, for sure. I think uh, I think that's going to be very important to the to the future of our sport for sure. Uh, that's good. That is good stuff. Uh, hey, Rob, we're going to go ahead and tag Aaron Stanfield. We're going to give him the podcast certification. That of course, Aaron means that you can come back on any time you want. You just let me know uh, you got something to say you want to talk about a win etc come on whenever so you get the podcast certification today we don't do this very often but uh <laughs> let's give it to him awesome well i appreciate it thank you thank you for having me on yeah thanks for coming on guys girls that was the great aaron stanfield Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. You knew that already, uh, but uh, if you have any legal needs, Ed Harney is your guy, and do not forget it. Um, guys, girls, I was really disappointed um, that uh, we had to catch up a little bit last week. There was a lot of drag racing action, and there was more drag racing action this week most notably at the double event in Epping, New Hampshire. There was a Division I uh, event there, and then they followed that up with a JEG Sports National. So there were two great races, one haul, two races, and it started like this. In top dragster, there were 29 cars. 25 of those 29 were in the sixes on the qualifying ladder, and your number one qualifier was Mike Coughlin. He goes 612 with an 8 at 224 miles an hour. You may remember Mike came on last year, was unbelievable, and uh, I'm sure he wanted that number one spot as Jegs was flying the banner all weekend. So um, congrats to Mike for getting that number one qualifying spot. But your Tommy Tape top dragster winner was Alan Kenny over Lauren Coltrera. Uh, Lauren goes red. Allen was very good on the light, and he gets his second Wally of the year in top dragster. So nicely done, Allen Kenny. Uh, on the top sportsman side, there were 32 cars that showed up for that event. Uh, full field there. We got uh, number one qualifier was John Benoit. He's got that 15 Corvette flying. He goes 651.4 at 211 miles an hour for the top spot. But your winner was Jeff Brooks and his Henry J over Larry Willard. Willard was a little better on the tree, but Brooks chases him down for his ninth Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Wally. Nicely done, Jeff and Allen on the first leg of that weekend. Then we go to the second half of that weekend, which was technically the Jegs Sports National national event there. There were 32 cars in top dragster that made the call. Your number one qualifier, again, was number seven in the world last year, Mike Coughlin. He's from Delaware, Ohio, and he goes 6'10 with a 9 at 224 miles an hour. So he dialed it in a little bit to make sure that top spot was not going anywhere. Now, they had a little bit of issues getting in late on Sunday, so Vince Mussolino and Deborah DiGenova made it to the final before the rains came. They will finish that up at another time. On the top sportsman side, there were 30 cars. Uh, your number one qualifier was Mike Lubininski. He goes 624.6 at 220 miles, 29 miles an hour for the top spot. 
but uh, ultimately, John Benoit and Craig Monroe were to square off in the final before the event was called off. So when they finish that, if they finish that, we will bring you the results of that effort. Now, next week is is just a bunch of action. So the NHRA goes to Bowling Green for the Division Three event in Beach Bend Raceway Park. Division Four um, in the great state of Texas, the Alamo City Motorplex. They've got an event, and then Division Six in Billings, Montana, at Yellowstone Drag Strip has a double divisional event out there. And the PDRA goes to VMP for their summer shootout. So, lots of racing action to catch you up on next week. Um, all over the country, D three, D four, D six, and the PDRA. Um, we will get all of that to you next week. Whoa, let's get out of the groove for a minute. And guys, girls, um, we need to go back a few episodes. So if you have not listened to episode number 50, you need to do that right now because that was simply a great out of the groove segment where I told you all about a dude named Fred Ashmore who rented a Mustang GT, put fuel tanks where the back seats were, and beat on that rented mule for 25 hours and 55 minutes, setting the new Cannonball Run world record. I love that, and I was so excited for Fred, who made one fuel stop and beat the record mostly because there were no cars on the road during the Rona and my man had smooth sailing across the country at 107 miles per hour. Unfortunately for my man Fred, he wasn't the only one whose eyes lit up when they realized that less soccer moms not on the wide-open highways and byways of this great country could make a difference in their quest to emulate Burt Reynolds. Arn Torman and Doug Tabit have been working on this for a long time. In fact, they held a previous record that they set last year. Knew it was broken this year because of everyone chasing the Rona-less streets, and they wanted that record back. So they did what any speed-obsessed, red-blooded American male would do, and they asked their wife if they could borrow the Audi for a couple of days turns out the car they used last year to set the record was totaled by a truck that hit them and just simply wasn't available for this endeavor so arn and doug then proceeded to put some fuel cells in the trunk of their 2016 audi s6 and do some body work to the front of that thing to make it look like a ford interceptor cop car seriously Doug had really thought this thing through and been looking for an Audi S6, which for some reason he deemed was the perfect cannonball run vehicle, I guess especially if it was dolled up to look like a cop car. Uh, The thinking was that if it looked like a cop car, they would minimize the reports from local bystanders of a car that was averaging 101 miles per hour and hitting a top speed of 175 miles per hour across the country. And they were mostly right. Um, They were only almost caught a few different times on the trip. Um, And it is truly amazing the amount of planning and team coordination across the entire country that it takes to elude the Roscoe P. Coltrane's of the world and set this new record. Uh, Arn and Doug did exactly that, that, 
exactly what they set out to do, and they reclaimed the record that they earned last year with a time that beat Fred's by 16 minutes. They made that trip that set the new Cannonball Run record by making the 2,816-mile trip in 25 hours and 39 minutes, snatching the record from our guy Fred. Congrats to Arn and Doug for reclaiming their title, but uh, I don't like it. I like my man Fred's idea of just taking a runned Mustang and running across the country. Um, But uh, congrats. We've got a new record. I had to keep you guys updated on that. And again, the offer stands. If any of you out there in the nation are up for it, let's give it a rip. I mean, if Arn and Doug can do it. All right, as we hit the mile per hour cone, let's talk about the Indy 500. The Indy 500 was held here last weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And like everything else this year, the action around that pagoda was bizarre. First off, in the first time in 104 500-mile events, there were no fans. I'll say that again, just in case you are confused to as why a memorial to a speed that holds almost 400,000 people can't have any fans, but you can jam into an Applebee's and watch it sitting next to your neighbor at the bar is anyone's guess. I don't know either, but that's how we did it. We did it without the fans and the show went on mostly. Anyway, um, the race for the most part was a good one. Although it ended under yellow after Spencer Peugeot hit the wall on lap number 194. So IndyCar knows it, but ending a race, especially the Indy 500, under caution is really the worst way you can end a race. Uh, I don't know the drag racing equivalent, but it's not good and is anticlimactic as it can be. So IndyCar, fix that. My goodness, you had a chance to end the race in the most exciting way fashionable the possible with a drag race. You blew it, so stop that. Fix it and don't let ever let that Indy 500 end that way again. Um, how it did end was with Takumo Sato crossing the bricks in first place and earning his second Indy 500 win. He, by all accounts, is a really good dude and drinks the milk and takes his second Borg Warner trophy back to Japan. Scott Dixon, who I guess some of you put some money on, were probably really fired up when they ended this thing on the red flag or the yellow flag, came in second. And the closest thing to a drag racer in the event was Graham Rahal, and he finished third. I personally am rooting for Graham mostly because I hate the fact that for him, he can walk through the door heading home and say honey i finished third in the indy flipping 500 and she will look at him and say great you've got the second fastest race car in this marriage now take out the trash i mean yikes hang in there brother i'm rooting for you graham um you know i I joke about graham a little bit but for the record the funniest part of the 500 and this is by far, not even close, was when Paul Tracy offhandedly mentioned to Danica Patrick that she should tell the audience what it's like to wreck an IndyCar into the wall like that because he hadn't done that ever, but she had plenty of times. 
It was great. Uh, I don't think she got that he was ribbing her because she went on to talk about how she was a really good crasher in NASCAR because she wrecked so many times in IndyCar. Uh, something about after the 12th time she hit the wall, she realized she should let go of the steering wheel or she'd break her thumbs. Um, that was fantastic. The commentary was great. So nicely done, Paul Tracy. Nicely done, Takumo Sato. And nicely done, Graham Rahal in the 104th running of the Indy 500. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 54. There it is. There's the wind light. There is Gloria. Bam, we had another great week this week. First of all, we had no Roadster talk, so that was good. Secondly, we talked to Aaron Stanfield. He is a standout in top dragster, pro stock, and factory stock and he was great we gave him the podcast certification that was so fantastic hey next week we're going to have the u.s nationals preview episode you will not want to miss it it will be huge we will also talk the jegs all-stars as well i cannot wait if you have comments questions or curse words for me you know there are three ways to get at me first of all the facebook page using messenger you can use a homing pigeon or you can use the email fast brackets at outlook.com Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. So now that you're like a racing media kingpin, you get a special spot at the Nationals? Your use of the word kingpin uh, is confusing to me. But, um, yeah, the NHRA has been very nice to me, even when I um, question some of their logic. But, uh, yeah, they've been very nice to me. And I will for sure be at the U.S. Nationals this year like I have been since I was six years old. Yeah, see, you're figuring it out. It's better to be feared than respected. (laughs) Someone once said that.